Hello, everyone. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to another edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more informed voter and a more engaged citizen. Last week, our guest was Minister Siobhan Williams of the organization called Faith and Public Life, and we started what I call part one of our series on accountability. That is, how do we make sure that our elected officials are addressing the issues that are important to us in an effective way? Uh, I call that power in your voice and in your vote. Uh, that show is on my website, JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. And it's also on SoundCloud and Spotify under uh, the heading of Local Matter. So if you missed that show, please go back to catch it. This week, we're discussing part two on accountability. And my guest is Nicholas X. Harrison. He is a graduate of the Glen Hills High School class of 2004, where he was their valedictorian. Uh, he is also a graduate of the Fort Valley State College or State University. How you doing today, Nicholas? I'm great, I'm great. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I look forward to this conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, I gave a little background information on you, but I'm going to let you give a little bit more background information. Uh, if you could tell me uh, what fraternity it is that you pledged when you were at Fort Valley. Let's get started with that. All right. So I had the, the amazing opportunity to join Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, uh, through the Gamma Zeta chapter at the Fort Valley State University, fall 2005. Um, and, and, and honestly, part of the reason that we're having this conversation today is because of the training and the tools that I was able to gain through my time in serving in the fraternity. Okay, all right. Those uh, sororities and fraternities, some people think that we do it because it's fun and we party and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so thank you for making it clear that our organizations exist as public service organizations and have been keenly involved in social action activities from the very outset of Absolutely. the formation of those organizations. So thanks for letting us know that. But we Next do enjoy all aspects of college life as well. That's right. Uh, the next thing I want you to make folks aware of is the career path that you have chosen. Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, I, I, would, I would hesitate to use the word chosen quite loosely. I will say at, at the point in which I came into finance, which I'm currently a stockbroker, I would say uh, my goal, and, and this came from uh, a frat brother of mine was, how can I have the most impact in the community through whatever opportunity I have in front of me? And I stumbled upon the career of finance. Um, so now as a stockbroker, um, I serve in the role as an equity compensation advisor. Uh, and, and in layman's terms, that means that companies sometimes pay their employees through ownership. So they pay them in stocks, stock options in various forms. And I helped to manage that for, for Fortune 500 companies all across uh, the globe, quite honestly. All right. That is very interesting work. 
And um, it's the type of job that growing up, I mean, I'm sure you didn't have a clue of what folks did, folks, financial professionals like that did. You know, that was even a job. No way. <laughs> so um, as we progress, uh, and I say we as uh, African-Americans coming up, you know, you think your options are limited. It turns out they aren't limited at all. There are any number of different career pursuits that we can follow. It's just a matter of being at the right place in the right time and finding out what those things are. And um, I think you've been doing this now for how many years? Um, specifically with E-Trade, uh, literally last month, I just received my Thank you for six years of service. So six plus two, so about eight years now. About eight years, okay. And um, that's something, as you said, you kind of fell into, but it mm -hmm. turns out to be a good fit for you, right? Definitely has been. The conversations that I'm able to have with C-suite individuals on an everyday basis, and when I say C-suite, I mean CFOs, CEOs, board of directors. I have conversations with them every day. Um, is information I'm able to just feed back to my community about strategic ways to think of money and strategic ways to think of how that can impact your personal life as well as society. And the other connection that I have in particular to this guest, some people may ask, well, how'd you get him on here? You know, he's somebody, yeah, he grew up in Augusta, how'd you get him on your show? Um, I have known him uh, since he was born. Uh, we attended the same church, I think, a couple of weeks ago when I introduced this show. I said uh, my guest coming up was my church member and my homeboy. Uh, we are members, we're members of the Hale Street Baptist Church located at 350 Hale Street. It's that little red brick church that is right behind the fairgrounds. Mm -hmm. And we were a very small congregation back then, but that gave us a closeness that we have maintained over the years. Um, we, uh, even though we're a small church family, we had a lot of good things come out of that church. Uh, you see somebody like uh, Nicholas, uh, Nicholas, who's in what we would consider to be a non-traditional career path, particularly for African-Americans, uh, folks like myself that may have done a thing or two here or there, mm -hmm. uh, people like Tony Williamson, uh, he's also my neighbor and church member, uh, Tony uh, owned a, built a successful uh, technical services uh, firm, and uh, he has since sold that firm and moved on to real estate and some other things, but he was able to uh, start from scratch and build a business that had clients as large as Target uh, and other uh, large scale businesses there in Minnesota. Um, we've got uh, uh, Miss LaMonica Lewis-Hillman. She's been an assistant superintendent of schools here in Richmond County for several years. Her mother, uh, Gloria Lewis, was director of the uh, Equal Opportunity Authority or Economic Opportunity Authority uh, for many years. So even though we were a small church, we nurtured the folks who came up in that church. And uh, I am pleased to say that we are still a close church family today, even though we're spread uh, far and wide. Uh, Nicholas, uh, you are the parents of, I, will, I can't get uh, by doing this without mentioning the very special people who raised you. Tell, tell us who they are. Yes, sir. Uh, my father is Reverend Seymour Harrison Sr. My mother is uh, Miss First Lady Diane Simmons Harrison. Uh, both are products of Richmond County School Systems. Uh, grew up in, in what we all refer to as the bottom. 
Um, so between Laney Richmond, I'm sure we all have a slew of family members that went somewhere between Laney Richmond and, and, and can't forget Josie, of course. Uh, but yes, those are my parents. Okay, very good. And your father's pastor of what church? Is he still pastor in the church now? Uh, not at the moment. Not at the moment. Uh, okay. okay. Most recently, White Rock Baptist Church out of Lincolnton, Georgia. Okay. I just want to make that point that you come from a home, not just where you were expected to uh, go to school and achieve there. You were expected to go to church and do big things when you were at church too. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, having said all that, the reason that I asked Nicholas to come in today was to talk about his experiences uh, with the Beaufort City Schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, Beaufort is in Gwinnett County, I understand, but it has a separate school system. Uh, So can you talk to us a little bit about how you got involved there on behalf of your son and the other students in that system? Absolutely. So um, as a father, uh, one commitment that I made to my family is uh, I have to do what I saw my father do for us, which was ensure that we had tools, resources, and a support system around us that extended beyond our front door. So with that, um, having a son, um, Xavier is what we call him. He's my namesake. We go by the middle name. Middle name. Um, I knew that I would be involved in his school system. But one thrust point that happened that made my efforts become something that had to intensify and be impactful was a, a, a very big racial issue that took place with one of the former superintendents here. Uh, initially, it started off with him firing and through wrong for termination, which is still being battled and, and litigated, uh, Miss Mary Ingram, um, which had a lot of racial undertones. But through the course of this court case, again, still ongoing, there were racial overtones that came out. So overt action that he was doing in a recording. And I knew that at that moment, I had to stand up and be accountable in a way that led to meaningful change and tangible outcomes uh, that would hopefully change what my son's school system looked like, the experience that him as well as his friends would have, and quite honestly, just ensure that the right thing was done because sometimes uh, you hope for people to do the right thing, but that's not always the outcome of the situation. And uh, as you all fought that battle, as you got engaged in that, Uh, that reminds me a little bit of the conversation I had last week with Minister Williams. Um, As she talked, I said, you know, it seems like the key here is that you did not allow yourself to be intimidated by uh, the elected officials and others that you have approached directly. Um, Did that whole idea of uh, not allowing yourself to be intimidated factor into how you went about that uh, process there in Beaufort City Schools? Absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, Beaufort is a subset of Gwinnett County. Gwinnett County itself is large, diverse, um, one of the largest counties in the country, quite honestly. But Beaufort City Schools is It's that small part of Georgia that you may not hear about in the headlines, typically, unless you're following Uh, high school football very closely. But Beaufort City School is at the top of of every list when you think of nationally ranked programs from the debate team to their academics to their sports programs. Um, With that small city feel, you could literally put your thumb on uh, 
how the community had a strong mindset of this is the way my daddy did it, this is the way my daddy does it. And that intimidation factor was strong and heavy and voiced directly in your face at times as well. But you remained undaunted because? Because I, I knew that action had to take place. Um, I quite honestly leaned on a lot of the training that I gained through Alpha. Um, I called mentors that I have, um, one mentor being Everett Ward, the general president of Alpha right now. Um, I currently serve as special advisor on his uh, young Alpha's administration. I called him, asked him for advice. I called and asked the local chapter president who was also an educator, uh, Mr. Joe Lee. Uh, Brother Lee gave me great words, then Brother Lockhart. So, I called brothers who I knew had experience in this area from an educational standpoint, from a civil rights standpoint, and asked them, how do you approach these conversations and what expectations should you have? And I also knew that it would be important for me to stand in the gap because um, as, as my dad would say as he was preaching, God was preparing me for such a time as this. I knew because of the relationships that I had developed throughout the community with my son being involved in sports, um, being involved with white parents, black parents, Hispanic parents, that a lot of parents were scared to speak up in this environment because quite honestly, this is a small community. So there's a lot of small business owners in this community and they were afraid of just the pushback that they would get, how it would affect their families, and, and they were just trying to get by with their everyday life. So it, it wasn't something so much that I felt I could overcome on my own. It was something that, because of the grace of God, I knew that I was placed here for this moment and for this time. Placed here for the moment and for the time. So as a result of that activism, Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm also hearing a couple of well, another theme here is that you did not hesitate to reach out to others who might help and advise you. A lot of times people will make the mistake of going on their own when they could have benefited from the knowledge and experience of somebody else. So that also seems to be a critical factor with your success. Absolutely. Right? I'm the first to admit um, I don't know everything, and uh, I'm, I'm probably on the short end of knowing everything. And from that, I approach it with who can I ask to give me some tools and advice? And being able to reach out to different groups of people and, and different individuals in that time, they were able to help me set my expectations. And, and true to course, they were correct. So, one of the things that we were able to come out with is by pressing the point and pressing the issue, we were able to help, um, help to create the first diversity and inclusion council within this school system. Uh, that's headed out by Dr. Lucretia Smith, a graduate of Albany State University. And through our, our efforts and our board and that diverse group of people, we were able to really sit down and help develop a game plan when it came to what does diversity and inclusion look like for this school system and what are some tangible things that we can do. And let's talk a little bit about the importance of diversity and inclusion. Um, one of the uh, things that 
I appreciated about having grown up in Richmond County schools was that I had a number of teachers who looked like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even uh, now I have conversations with people and they'll say, yeah, I may have had some African-American teachers, but I never had many African-American male teachers. And that was one of the greatest things that I think I received from Richmond County Public Schools was that uh, from the time I was in fifth grade, I want to say just about every year from fifth grade on up to 12th, uh, there was a substantial presence of African-American men in the schools which I attended. And people will talk about how important it is for black male students to have black male teachers. But frankly, I think it's just as important for us as female students to have uh, male teachers, black male teachers. Um, Can you talk a little bit about just why that was important to you, what you have seen so far and what you hope to see in the future as a result of that activism? So important for me is particularly in the hiring practices is because my son literally comes to me at the start of the last, so he's in fourth grade, um, very mindful of his, his beautiful chocolate skin. And he asked me, dad, will this be the year that I have a black male teacher? Um, and, and literally he'll thought I'll ask me like that because quite frankly, the, the school system is dominated uh, with white women, women teachers. And in that conversation, unfortunately, that's just not an option um, really afforded to them. I I can't think of until we get to the high school level that maybe there's a possibility, but outside of sports, outside of uh, PE, he he doesn't get that interaction within the schoolhouse. So I, I definitely have to make up those extra efforts. But when I take that lens and I apply that to different situations, I realize that the same also exists for Hispanic teachers, that the same also exists for uh, white males within the school system. Um, It's just, it's not much diversity in the the teaching force or the faculty staff uh, throughout the school system. So that is, that's our major thrust point of what efforts is the school system taking? um, What reports can they give us? And, and that's one thing that we're really harping on, especially this school system, as we, we have our footing and, and we're really starting to dig in with things we expect and want to see. All right. That is uh, an excellent effort. It's a very important effort. Um, I notice now that as uh, we have gone through uh, our most recent episodes with pr- police brutality, and we know that it's been existing all the time, but mm-hmm. we've gone through our most recent efforts. Now, all of a sudden, everybody wants to get involved with, oh, we need to do more to promote diversity and inclusion. Uh, now, all of a sudden, uh, companies, big companies, are oh, we're going to throw you know, $10 million or $50 million or whatever it is uh, towards uh, improvements for the African-American community. And um, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little skeptical sometimes to some degree because I think, you know, I've had some conversations with some others who, and I'll ask, so if X Bank is throwing out $50 million, have they decided how they're going to use it? How is it really going to be made available to improve the lives of African-Americans? And I don't think anybody has any answers to those questions yet. 
they felt like they optimistic. I'm with you on it. Cautiously optimistic. That's my time for it. That's yeah. Um, so some of the things they could do, uh, it appears, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head as we have this conversation, is hey, let's uh, pay off some school loans for some African American men who might become teachers. That makes it easier, you know, you don't feel like you've got to get out and get a job that pays, you know, $80,000 or $100,000 because you have the burden of those loans. If those loans get paid off, that frees you up and gives you some other options to do some different things. So um, there, there are probably lots of ways that uh, if companies are serious about diversity and inclusion, they could help uh, school systems, neighborhoods, um, promote community and economic development. There are probably a lot of different ways that they're really serious about that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So um, after having gone through this process, um, getting deeply involved, um, mm. getting in what you call good trouble. <laughs> Absolutely. You have to get out there and just start. I mean, the, the, the words of, of late Senator John Lewis rang true, that, that getting in good trouble, agitation on, on all levels really helps to create change, really helps to push the conversation. And it's what needs to happen because when you're not there to speak up and honestly just speak from the heart, it's not that you're having the right answers, it's not that you even have the answers, but you have the love and the passion for what it is that you see as the problem. Um, maybe the other person creates the solution, but they don't even know that the solution is needed un until, until you come up and, and you repeat it to them. Not say it to them, but you have to say it and say it again. Say it and say it louder. Um, and, and one thing that I mentioned earlier, I, I didn't know what I was asking for that first day I stood up in the board meeting. I didn't know what would be the thing that was needed or even that was doable. Was I asking too much? Was I asking too little? So I called people that I trusted, people who were tapped into those conversations already. And that's, you have to get out there and agitate them to, to get those things happening. All right, we've got uh, one more minute or so, a little, little more than that. Uh, please tell us, is there anything else that you wanna share with our listeners today? Absolutely. So um, one thing I personally had to realize is that there, there are levels to what, what you're trying to accomplish, levels to what you want to do. Um, I, I heard Roland Martin once say, first you change your neighborhood, then you change your community, then you change your city, then you change your state, then you change the nation, then you change the world. There's a lot of little pieces in all of that big configuration that make a difference. Just do your part. Once you realize that there's levels to it and you realize that other people are working at the national level, at the state level, or at the city level, and you figure out what it is that you like and what you want to do, and, and you will easily find the energy to tap into that moment and, and be able to push forward. So just find what it is that you like at the level that you are, create that agitation, stir up some good trouble, and and, and you will see the change happen. Stick to it and make it work. 
Nicholas, thank you so much for being my guest today. Uh, you provided a wealth of information for our listeners to take with them. Uh, and I wish you the very best as you raise, uh, Xavier, you and your wife work together to raise a wonderful, productive son. Absolutely. I truly appreciate the opportunity. Uh, my wife, my Keisha, my son, Xavier, they, they, they're always happy to to see that uh, that everything that I'm doing is leading to something more. So thank you for this opportunity. I certainly hope these last two shows have helped you understand how you can take steps to hold elected officials accountable. Uh, last week with Minister Siobhan Williams, we talked about things like uh, getting potholes patched and how you get the attention of folks who are running for office and seeking your vote. Uh, this time around, of course, we talked about uh, the importance of parents advocating for diversity and inclusion from uh, an elected body. Uh, so whether it's something that affects your day-to-day -day living and, and what it takes for you to drive down the road or something that has long-term consequences like diversity and inclusion, there is room for and it is appropriate for uh, parents citizens, uh, taxpayers, uh, to get out there and ask for what they want. As we think towards next week's show, uh, September 16th, my guest is Fred Russell, former Augusta administrator. Uh, we're going to talk some about police brutality, police reform, uh, and some other topics as well. Uh, I don't know if you all recall, but Fred is a former police officer. Uh, he, that's where he entered the field of local government before he went into management. So we really uh, will uh, have an interesting and I think a wide-ranging conversation with Fred Russell. On September 23rd, I will begin election coverage. I know everyone is focused on the presidential race, but I want you to consider that you will also select someone to represent you and the U.S. House of Representatives and two U.S. Senate seats. You will also select someone for the Georgia Public Service Commission, the district attorney for the Augusta Circuit, which includes Richmond, Columbia, and Burke counties. You will uh, have five school board races on the ballot. And depending on where you live, you will select someone for the Georgia State Senate. We will spend this show discussing how to register to vote online, what to do when you change your address, who is eligible to register to vote, and other items to make sure that you are prepared for November 3rd. Then from September 30th through October 28th, we will bring candidates in uh, my hope is to have candidates for, from each one of the school board races, each one of those five races. We would invite the incumbent as well as all of the challengers in, and hopefully they accept my invitation. Uh, we will also, hopefully I'm going to try real hard to have candidates for the DA's race and perhaps that uh, Georgia State Senate race as well. So uh, please look forward to that time period from September 30th through October 28th to make sure that you truly can be uh, an informed voter when it's time for you to cast that ballot. Uh, also want to remind you the uh, Augusta, Richmond, Augusta, Richmond County has approved uh, sending out uh, absentee ballot applications. Uh, so uh, be on the lookout for that document. Don't let it uh, pass you by when it's uh, coming to you. 
also want to address a very topic, uh, important topic, the U.S. Census. Uh, the self-response period ends on September 30th. Earlier, they did uh, extend to October, the end of October, and then they moved it back to September 30th. So if you do not want a census enumerator, a total stranger coming to your door to ask you about the census, the way to take care of that is to respond yourself. If you've lost your form or if you don't have internet service at home, please go to one of the following census stations. There's the Augusta Municipal Building on Telfair Street, the Ruffin Courthouse on James Brown Boulevard in Walton Way, the South Augusta Tag Office in the Ballo Shopping Center on Peach Orchard Road, and the Grovetown City Hall at 103 Old Wrightsboro Road. The Greater Augusta's Interfaith Coalition has created these census stations at each one of those locations. Completing the census only takes about 10 minutes. Uh, and each one of those locations will be open, open on Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, as always, please uh, sh spread the word about this show. Um, I, the way we found out about it is often through word of mouth. Uh, you help me and you help your community every time uh, you share one of the shows on your social media uh, via text or via email, and you can find them on SoundCloud slash local matters and there it shows you how to share the shows with people that you know and love as always i will close out with second timothy chapter 1 verse 7 for god hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind this show is designed to contribute to each of those giving you the power that comes with knowledge demonstrating love for your local community and offering a we offer you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Tune in here on WKZK.net, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, next Wednesday at 1.30 PM, because local matters.